Welcome to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan, and thank you so much for joining us today. We know that uh, there's so many other things going on, so many other things you could be listening to right now, but you have decided to listen to what God has in store for you on this podcast. So we just pray and ask that God would bless you in this sermon Thank you again for joining us. Don't forget, you are part of the Rock Creek Family Church family. Hey, everybody. Happy Wednesday again to you. And hey, the last Wednesday of 2020. Can you believe it? I know some of you are really excited about watching that big bad boy go behind you. And uh, really... As much as we are excited about that, as much as we are probably ready to move on to 2021, I think before we do so, I think we need to take an appropriate amount of time here in the next few days and just uh, reflect. Even if you have to write it down or if you have written it down, go back and reread that and then spend some time in prayer and I would dare say even worship and praise as you think about not just what all 2020 handed you and brought in and took you through and did to you and and maybe even took away from you but to think about what all god has done for you um uh, that's what really is the most important right now is to just simply simply uh, remember reflect god what have you taught me in this year what have you told me in this year? What have you shown me? Uh, what what, what uh, aspects of your character have you, have you revealed to me about you? And really, I would dare say every struggle that you went through, God wanted to use and still wants to use that struggle to show you another characteristic of him or another, another part of himself, another, another piece of his holiness and his righteousness. So that as you age and as you grow more in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God, uh, you can begin to piece all of those puzzles together and get a bigger picture of who God is. Now, I know that uh, we in our human finite form will never fully get the full picture of God until we get to heaven but God wants to, to continually reveal more and more of him to us. And you know what? A bad year can't stop that. A bad year is not going to stop that from happening. In fact, a lot of times a bad year is the gateway or, or a bad season of your life is a gateway to know God even more. So the biggest question is not, are you happy 2020 is going? It is, are, what, what have you learned and are you excited about what God has revealed to you about him, about his self, and about his character. And so here we go, the last Bible study of 2020. But actually, this Bible study is going to be a springboard into 2021. And the next few Bible studies we are going to do on Wednesday night. And it's all going to surround this theme of how to handle spiritual bullies. Because I know there have been probably a lot of spiritual bullies that have hit you up at some point in time this last year. Maybe even right now. Maybe even today 
uh, a spiritual bully has been pushing your buttons and making you be frustrated or aggravated or, or sad or disappointed or anxious or distressed or whatever the case may be. And you know what? The enemy wants to try so hard to do that. Um, he wants us to, to uh, perceive that we are weak and that we can't handle this and that we can't make it through this. But I'm here to tell you something completely different. I'm here to give you the truth and the truth shall set you free today and in the next few weeks. In fact, you can see the word stand back here. One, two, three, four, five weeks at least. We may go a little longer, but at least five week Bible study on how to handle spiritual bullies, how to handle spiritual attacks, and what do you do when you're under attack? What are those uh, things that the enemy, those strongholds that the enemy uses to try to tear us down and bring us down and keep us down in the dumps? We're going to go over all of that in the next few weeks, but right now we're going to go to a time of prayer, and then we're going to open up in the with the Word of God uh, go into a good old Sunday school Bible lesson, uh, David and Goliath, and we're going to see how to handle spiritual bullies, what to do when we feel like we're under spiritual attack. Uh, let's go to the Word. Let's go to the Lord, and let's let's just have a moment of prayer. Father God, we love you and we thank you. You are so good. You are so gracious, and you are so wonderful to me and to us. Time and time and time again, you have proven your faithfulness. Time and time again in, in my failures, you remained strong and stable and consistent and faithful. Not only that, God, but you were persistent. You were persistently and passionately pursuing me in a relationship with us, a relationship with each one of us. God, that failure or that struggle or those times where you felt down, that did not belittle your grace at all. And I want to thank you for that. And I pray, God, that your grace would be sufficient to us in our own heart and in our own mind as we study your word, as we know more about you and know more about our identity in you. Father God, we love you and we thank you. We worship you tonight. We thank you for all that you have done. You are, again, so good to us. And I do pray and I do encourage all of those, Lord God, that are struggling right now. God, I know what it feels like to struggle. I've had many, many struggles in my life. And, and Lord, you have brought me such a long way through those struggles. God, I want to praise you because you can lift their head. You can encourage them tonight. And I pray that you use this Bible study, use your word, use whatever I say for your glory and for the building of your kingdom. Uh, I pray that you touch all of those that are sick, all those who need a healing, all those that uh, need you to move and strengthen and power in their life. Do so in Jesus' name. Do what you can do. Be God in those situations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I certainly do not come to you this evening as if I have it all figured out and I have it all together. Um, no, in fact, I come to you this evening to proclaim to you that in my moments where I did not have it all together, in my moments where I didn't really feel victorious and in, in my failures, 
in my doubts and my fears and my worries and my pouting days and my down in the dump days and and everything in between, between the mountaintops of feeling really good about who you are and feeling really good about who I am in you, there was always a valley to get through. In fact, I have often learned that most of these uh, bullies really do a lot of their greatest work in the valley. Um, these bullies that we are speaking of today are are the enemy, This the devil, his bullies. In fact, Christ himself comes very blatantly out to let everybody know that the devil comes in a bad way and he comes for this main purpose, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's found in John chapter 10 and verse 10. But that's not where it stops because but Jesus came and said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. So that means that though the enemy has come, that is the reason why Christ has come to counteract that, that work of the bully, that work of the enemy in your life and cause you through the power of the Holy Spirit to rise up, to rise up inside of that failure, inside of that valley, inside of that struggle, to rise up right then and right there in the midst of that, to get up, to stand, having done all, stand, to stand there with, with his strength and his power, lifting you up and encouraging you, teaching you to wait upon him. And that doesn't mean don't do anything. That means be still and know that he is God and trust in that. And when you wait upon him, he will come and he will renew your strength. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Yes, good old Sunday school Bible study, good old Sunday school lesson that we've all heard probably tens of thousands of times. I may be exaggerating, at least, at least a few dozen. A few dozen times you've heard about this, or maybe even a few hundred times you've thought about this. The old David and Goliath story. And David comes up against a really big bully. Uh, he's a really big bully in a tribe or a nation or a people group of bullies called the Philistines. Philistines, Philistines, however you want to say it, tomato, tomato, whatever. I like saying Philistines because it makes you sound a little bit more uh, educated. Um, so David comes into the encampment where of Israel where Israel is encamped on kind of one mountainside while the Philistines are encamped on the other mountainside and there is a valley, the Valley of Elah, there in between them. Um, as David comes in, he comes in to, to see, uh, actually to deliver some cheese and some crackers and some food to his brothers who are enlisted in Israel's army. And as he comes to bring this food, he sees the defiance and he hears the sound and the, the, the loud sound of the defiance of Goliath, the Philistinian champion who is down in the valley barking out uh, curses and, and barking out challenges to all of Israel as if to say, I'm going to be bullying you into submission. And really, in essence, that's what he was doing. 
Um, if you want to look up the definition of the word bully, the word bully actually means someone who seeks to harm or intimidate those whom they perceive as vulnerable. Well, a lot of times when we, when we take that definition into consideration, um, let's look at it from the spiritual side of things and how the enemy, it's not just that he perceives us as vulnerable, but it's also that he wants you to perceive yourself as vulnerable. Um, he wants you to forget certain things. He wants you to, to, to keep certain things out of your mind and out of your heart. He wants to do so, so that he can keep you believing not in the power of God, not in the glory of God, not in the grace of God, not in, in the majesty of God, in the miraculous, wondrous working of God, not in, not in the identity of who God is and what God does, but get you so focused on your failures, your faults, your downfalls, your struggles, all of those things that he gets your mind off of God and he brings it back down to you so that you perceive yourself as vulnerable. We see a very classic example of this whenever the, the, the Hebrew nation, the, the people of God who have just left Exodus or left Egypt in Exodus, and they have wandered just a few days or a few weeks in the, in the wilderness, headed toward the promised land. As they got to that promised land the first time, not counting uh, the 40 years later, but the first time they got to that promised land and, and Moses sent over 12 spies, you remember the story, and, and 10 of those spies came back to tell and to give a report to Moses and to all the people that they could not take the land. And um, the, the reason for that is that there, there are giants over there. There are warlike people over there. There are people over there that would take care of us and take, or take advantage of us. I mean, and, they, and in fact, they call themselves, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. Now, the interesting thing about that is that there is no record of the people over there saying they were uh, grasshoppers. They basically said that about themselves and they believe that about themselves. And that's what the enemy wants us to do is to believe that about ourself. Well, let's see how David handled that. So now we're officially going there. First Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to start reading at verse 28 and I'm going to read through verse 36. Uh, we're going to jump around some more passages of Scripture here in 1 Samuel. I'm also going to bring in lots of other Scripture to go along with this. But we're just going to see how David handles this bully as he comes into the camp and he sees Goliath bullying the entire people of Israel, the king, the warriors, and everybody. And David, this little ready teenager of a boy says, wait a minute, this is not right. Let's see how he handled this. Verse 28, 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, David's oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why do you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down just to see the battle. And David said, 
what have I done now? Is there not a cause? As if David is saying, enough is enough. Uh, I, I, I can recognize this bully. I know a bully when I see one, and you guys are falling for this. And he says, this, is, this not, is there not a cause for me to rise up, to stand up, and to stand against what the enemy is doing? Verse 30, then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, for your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when the lion and the bear came and, and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. David, again, comes into this encampment and he's bewildered at how, they're, uh, how they are allowing this one man. Granted, this one man is a big man. He's almost 10 feet tall. He's carrying huge armor and huge weapons. He has a very loud voice. He probably hadn't taken a shower in a while. So he's probably, he's probably got an odor to him as well. He's probably gnarly. He's probably nasty. He has got scars <clears throat> from being in many, many other battles. He is known as a champion and he stands head and shoulders above everybody there. That's the reality of it. That's the truth of it. But David still says there's got to be a greater truth than this. There's, there's got to be more to this. And he turns to Eliab, his older brother, and says, Is there not a cause for me to rise up? Is there not a cause for us to stand up? Is there not a cause for us to go against what the enemy is doing? I'm tired of being bullied. I'm tired of this. This is not the way it's supposed to be. You understand he had just been anointed king, not, not too long before this, this chapter, not too long before this incident, this moment where he's standing uh, here in the encampment of Israel against the Philistines. He's realizing that, wait a minute, God has anointed me to be the new king of Israel, and we can't let this one man stand in the way. And I realize he is big. But let me tell you who I have been with while I have been in the field with my sheep, Mr. Eliab. I've been with one who is much greater and much bigger than he is. He stands 10 feet tall. My God stands 10 million feet tall. He holds a, a, a big spear and a big shield and a big sword. Well, my God's sword and my God's hand holds the entire universe. My God is so much bigger. My God is so much greater. And really, that's where 
David began to make his stand. And I have the word stand back here behind me, and that's what we're going to go over for the next few weeks anyways. We're going to take one of the letters, and we're going to learn how to stand against bullies, the spiritual bullies that come uh, to bring strongholds and, and arguments and, and frustrations and weaknesses into our life to try to keep us in a perception that we're not going to make it and that we're vulnerable and that it's not going to work out for us. But we're going to learn the truth. And the first thing that we're going to learn is the S. And it, the S in stand simply does stand for stand, right? It means to stand. To stand in the identity, stand in knowing the identity that God has you in. The, to, to stand firm in your identity in God. Maybe that's a better way to put that. To, to stand firm in your identity in the Lord. That's exactly what David did. He stood firm in his identity in the Lord. And we're going to go over five ways in which he did that. Before I go into that, I do have one illustration. And I don't know if you have ever read this great, great Christian classic book called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, uh, one of the greatest Christian apologetists, and uh, he, he has written many books, including The Chronicles of Narnia, but one of the books that he had written that I have uh, really enjoyed, and that's called The Screwtape Letters. Now, it's a little bit different if you've never heard of this book. Uh, if you've never read this book, um, it, it's a little bit different. It's got a different spin on it, which is pretty, pretty interesting. C.S. Lewis actually writes about two demons, an uncle demon writing to a nephew demon. And he's writing to the nephew demon on how to be a good demon, on how to, to handle uh, the people that he's assigned to to bring them down. Um, in this, he, he writes many different letters as if he's corresponding and he's giving, giving personal mentoring lessons to his nephew. And in this book, he writes this. Uh, he writes this to his, his uh, nephew, Wormwood. So the, the first demon, the uncle demon's name is Screwtape. That's where we get the Screwtape letters. And then he writes to his nephew, Wormwood. In that, he writes this. When God talks of their losing themselves, God means only that they are to abandon the clamor of self-will. For once they have done that, he really gives them back all their personality and boasts, I am afraid, sincerely so, that when they are wholly his, then they will be more themselves than ever. So basically, one of the pointers, one of the tips he's giving his nephew is that get them to lose their identity. Get them to forget about their identity. Get more wrapped up in their identity and in things of this world and less in things of God. Because the more that they give over themselves and their self-will to God, the more he takes that in and he gives back the true and holy personality that he's really created them to be, and therefore it sets them free. 
And really, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the enemy coming to get you to perceive something less than your true identity in Christ Jesus. David, to stand against, the, against Goliath, uh, he had to first know who he was, who he was not just as a shepherd and who he was not just as a soon coming king. Those were things that he, were, he did and was going to do, but those things that he did and was going to do was coming from the identity of who God has created him to be and who God is, is fashioning him to be even as we're reading this story. So the very first thing David did is that he knew he was part of a higher purpose. When he's facing Goliath, or he's, he's actually talking to his brothers and the other warriors there, and he's talking about Goliath, the first thing he had to do was, was kind of remind all of them that, hey, wait a minute, we're part of a higher calling. We're part of a higher purpose and a higher people here. We are a people of God. In fact, I want to go back to verse 20 and look at that which we haven't read yet, but let's skip on back to verse 20. It says, So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse, his dad, had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. Now, okay, let's, let's pick, up where we're, pick up what we're laying down here. Um, he has just gotten the charge. His dad, Jesse, had just said, hey, go visit your brothers. Go take them some food. So the Bible says he left the sheep with the keeper. This is important. Listen to me. He left the sheep with the keeper. What was he doing? He was in the field as a shepherd, keeping the sheep, right? Now, skip on down to verse 34. We did read this part, and I don't know if you picked up on this. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. Wait a minute. What did he just do? He was, he was still a shepherd, okay? He was, he was still, even though he had been anointed king, he was still a shepherd at this moment. But he tells Saul, your servant used to keep sheep. What does that mean? It didn't mean that he was trying to get rid of his responsibilities of being a shepherd. Uh, I, I don't think that's the, the, the re reasoning behind what he says at all. I think what he is saying is, is that even though he's keeping sheep, he's part of a higher calling. There's something more and, and, and there's a greater purpose to his walk and to his life. And, and that's what you really need to understand. You may be a teacher, you may be a, a doctor, you may be uh, someone who, who cleans Houses, you may be someone who works with people, works in the public, works at a store, you may own your own business, whatever the case may be, that's not who you are. In fact, I had a great mentor pastor, Pastor Glenn Davis down in Dallas, Texas. He, he had told me one time, he says, never let being a pastor be your identity. Because if something should happen, either I fail at that or God calls me on to do something different, which by the way, he hasn't as far as I know. But in either case, he says, if you put all of your, and wrap up all of your identity in being a pastor, the very moment that God either moves you on or you fail at that, then you're gonna lose your identity. And he says, no, first things first, you are a warrior of worship. You are a child of the living God. You are a son of the most high king. You are God's. 
You are his servant. You are his chosen vessel to do something great in this world. Whatever that may be, maybe it's great in how you interact with people every single day. Maybe it's great in how you be a father or how you be a mother. Maybe it's great in how you be a, a grandmother or a grandfather. Or maybe it's great in how you run your business. Or maybe it's great in how you treat your patients. Or maybe it's great in how you, how you clean. And as you clean, you're actually singing worship songs and you're blessing the home and the place that you're cleaning. I don't know what it is, but... but your identity is not just in being a shepherd. It's not like David said, that's not my identity. I am part of this higher calling. First John 4 and 4 says this, You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You are so much greater than what you're, than the, even than the, the trial you're facing. You're so much greater. There is more to you. You are part of a high and great calling and high and great purpose in this world. You are as a daughter and you are a son of our God, most high, the one true and living God. And I would dare say, stand in that. Stand up in that. Be that first be that first and be that foremost. Now, the second thing David did is he knew whose side he was on. He says it multiple times, I'm a servant. And in fact, he says here in verse 32 through 34, and Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are a youth and he is a man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went, after, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. And verse 36 begins, your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing what? seeing that he's defied the armies of the living God. Now, David, a couple of times, looks at Saul, who is the king, and says, I'm your servant. Now, what this also means, and the greater truth to this, is that David understood that he was a servant of the king, the king of kings. And if at the time the king of kings had allowed Saul to be king, then he would align himself underneath the will of God and be the servant of God. So the second stand that David took was the fact that he knew whose side he was on. And he knew that God's side never loses. That God is an incredible warrior, fierce and mighty in battle. And he's not afraid to stand up against any enemy that would come into, him, into his path. Now, uh, it reminds me of the story in Joshua and at the beginning of Joshua, Joshua was contemplating and praying on how to take the first city, Jericho, and how to battle against that and how to take that because that was the gateway to the rest of the promised land. And as he's contemplating and working, trying to figure all of that out, he meets, an arm, he meets a commander of the army of the Lord, an angel of the Lord standing there. 
And the Bible says, as he's standing there, Joshua fell on his face. And that, that commander of the army of the Lord um, kind of picks him back up and brushes him off and has a conversation with him. And Joshua asked him a, a very, a very uh, important question that probably all of us would ask. Joshua asked, okay, are you for them or are you for us? Are you on their side or are you on, on, on our side? And the commander, this angel of the army of the Lord, looks at Joshua and says, neither. Now, that might throw some of us back when he says neither, because we would all expect, hey, the angel would say, I'm on your side, Joshua. But that was not the greater truth and the greater reality that needed to be learned here. The greater truth and the greater reality was in what he said next to Joshua. And what he said next was, neither whose side are you on, Joshua? Whose side are you on? That's the most important thing. It's not about us bending God's will to our life so much as it is about us being a servant and aligning our life up against underneath the will of God. And when we do so, God's will cannot be demolished or extinguished. God's will is going to be accomplished. It's going to be done, whether we are a part of it or not. So the important part is to know this and to know your identity in the will of God. You're his servant. You are on his side. And when you're on his side, this is what happens. Isaiah 54, 17 says this, no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Stand, stand in knowing whose side you are on. This is where Joshua, a little bit before this, this, this is the same Joshua that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the third thing David did, um, the third thing he stood in, the third identity that he stood up in and stood against this bully in is this, is that he knew what he had. David knew he was a part of a higher purpose. David knew whose side he was on. And number three, David knew what he had. Verse 34 through 37. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came out and took the lamb, hey, I went after it. And I, let me paraphrase because we've already read it. I went, I caught them, I struck them dead. I got the lamb back. And if they were to rise up against me, I would grab them by the beard and I would whip some bear or some lion tail, right? But then he goes on to say, your servant has killed them and I'm going to do the same thing to this Philistine. And verse 37 says, Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the, of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine, Philistine. And Saul said to David, Well, then go and may God be with you. David knew what he had. He had been tested. 
He'd been through things before. He had been tested out as a shepherd. We don't know when this has happened. We don't know how many times it happened. We would say it may be at least two times. There's a lion and a bear that had came, and he took care of both of those. And he, David is admitting it by saying, God was with me then, the same as God is with me now. I've, I've seen God being with me before. It has been tested. And you know what? I bet if you would stop the argument in your head in those times, especially you feel like you're getting bullied, you just, just be at peace and stop that argument in your head for long enough to know this, long enough to recount how many times God has been with you, how many times he's been faithful, how many times he has blessed, how many times he has healed, how many times he has helped, how many times he has saved, how many times has, has he shown up and loved, how many times and how many things and how many wonderful moments he has made himself real to you. And if you just stop and realize that that is what you have, you have him. You're on his side. You have Christ. You have Christ with you. You have the Holy Spirit with you. David said, I know what I have. And I have God with me. It goes way beyond a stick or a, a sling or a stone or a little knife. I have God with me. I am with God and he is with me. We are together. I'm after his heart. And if I have God, then I don't need anything else. In fact, if you read on in verse 47, uh, we're not going to for sake of time, but if you read on verse 47, Saul tries to give him his armor. And David says, this has not been tested. I can't take it. What he's saying is, is that, that this doesn't fit me. I can't put all of my hope in this. I got to put all of my hope in what I have tested. And I have tested the Lord and I know that he is good. He has been so, so faithful. I want to read to you Romans chapter 8. It's going to be a little bit lengthy, but it's very, very important. Romans chapter 8 verses 28 through 39. And I may skip around just a little bit for sake of time, but you'll get the meaning of it. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Remember that higher purpose, right? Then we shall say to these things, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Well, Christ is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised to life? who is now at the right hand of God, who indeed is now interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, no depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul, Paul here is saying, if God gave you Christ, then is there anything else he would hold back, including victory, <laughs> including triumph? Is there anything else he would hold back from you? Absolutely not. Know what you have. You have Christ on your side, the one who took and bore your sin, my sin, and all of our sin, and had the strength to bear that on a cross, and who went into the grave to fight death and hell itself, and came back out as if he went to the bully's house and he took the keys back and he sat the bully down and he put him in his place and said, I have the keys to set people free. The people you have been bullying and been enslaved and, and, and have entrapped, I've got the keys to set them free. You have that Christ on your side. He lives in you. And if he lives in you, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The Holy Spirit is living in you. The same Holy Spirit that hovered over the face of the earth in Genesis and helped God create the way that it should be and put order to it. That same Holy Spirit is also living in you. This says that he can work all things in order. Those that are loving God and called according to his purpose, he can work it all out. In 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing that David stood in is that he knew what he had. And I'm gonna ask you, do you? Do you know what you have? I believe you have more than you realize you do. Don't let the enemy change your perception. The fourth thing, the fourth thing David stood in, the fourth identity David stood against this bully in is that David chose not to listen to the enemy when the enemy, in this case Goliath, was cursing him. In fact, the word curse in the original language means to make light or slight. Let's read real quick, uh, back down in, um, let's go back down to where, oh, let's go up, I'm sorry. Let's go up to where, um, verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, which he had. and his sling was in his hand and he drew near the Philistine. And the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He cursed him. He talked down at him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you came to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, 
the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And today he'll deliver you into my hands and your flesh will feed the birds. Goliath came very loud, threatening real threats and being a really big bully. But David, did you notice David chose purposely not to repeat his curses? Because life, the power of life and death, or life and death is found in the power of the tongue, according to Proverbs. The life and death is found in the power of the tongue. David chose not to repeat these curses. Goliath was trying to make David light or slight, as if to say, you are nothing you're just a whiff. You're, you're something, you're so little, I can knock you around very easily. But what Goliath couldn't see was that there was more to David than David. What Goliath didn't see is that though David wasn't carrying any armor, he was carrying the weight of the glory and the presence of God. David had more than what, than what even Goliath realized. John chapter 8, 32 says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. In fact, if the enemy, if it's the enemy and the enemy is a liar, looks at you and says, you're nothing. Well, then the truth is you're something. The truth is that you have what it takes and that you are going to be okay. I want you to read, uh, turn with me to Psalm 27. Psalm 27, <clears throat> verses one through three says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Even evildoers will assail me and try to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes. It is they who will stumble and fall. Though an army would encamp against me, my heart shall not fear though war would rise against me, yet I will be confident. Why? Because God was his light. God had shown him the truth and shown him who he was, shown him his identity, shown him that David was on his side, shown him that David was a servant with a much higher purpose, shown him that God was gonna be his salvation. Don't let the enemy bring you down, and especially by what he says, especially by repeating what he says to yourself in your own mind and in your own heart. That is so important. Get the word of God down inside you. You repeat what God says, not what the enemy says. You learn to repeat what God says and who God says you are, not what the enemy says. Man, if you do that, you're gonna be so much stronger that uh, in fact, in the book of Ephesians, it says that we will be able to cast down imaginations and arguments that go against God. How do you do that? You do that by standing in who you are in God and standing in, in the truth of who God says you are, not in the lie that the enemy says you are, okay? Fifth and final thing, the fifth thing that David stood in and the fifth thing that, that 
identity that David stood against Goliath in is this, is that he knew where he belonged. He knew where he belonged, whether it's this valley or whether it's a mountaintop or whether it's on the throne or whether it's on the, the, the field tending sheep. He knew really and truly where he really belonged, and that was the presence of God. Go back to Psalm 27. David actually writes this psalm. And in Psalm 27, verse 4, David says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. David knew where he belonged. He didn't belong in the grip of the enemy. He didn't belong under the curses of the words of the enemy. He didn't belong in this battle. This, this, this valley was not meant for him to stay in. Yes, valleys will come. And yes, valleys are not going to be something you can dance around. We all have struggles and we're all going to have seasons that we are all going to go through. But even in the valley, we can choose that to be our home or we can choose our home to be the presence of God. We can choose to be where we belong. We can choose. We have this glorious opportunity to choose to take the garments of praise that he's afforded us and he's given us through his grace and his mercy and put them on to enrobe ourselves with the garments of praise, to, to encourage ourselves in the Lord by magnifying the Lord in our eyes. We have that choice. We need to know where we belong. We do not belong in the encampment or the enslavement or the, the, under the words of or even tied up always in the battle of the enemy. We do not belong there. We are God's. We belong in his tent, as David said. We belong in his house. This is God's house. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the living God. That is where you deserve to be. Didn't say that we weren't gonna all have moments and times and seasons where we wouldn't struggle or fail or, or mess up. But the enemy wants us to take our weaknesses and use that to help to make us perceive ourselves as vulnerable. I'm going to close with this last story, and it's a New Testament story, where the Apostle Paul said that there, were, there was a thorn in his side that, that he had prayed and prayed and prayed for God to deliver and to, to heal and to bring him out of this struggle that he was in. And he says it was, it was showing off his weakness. I'm paraphrasing. But in Paul's conversation with God, he finally gets still long enough to hear what God would have to say. And here's what God says. 
my strength, my grace is sufficient for you, and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. What he is stating to Paul is that in those weak places, those moments, those times, those seasons, in that weakness, that is where I am strong. That's where I show my strength. Goliath looked at David and said, your weakness is you're short. <laughs> your weakness is you're young. Your weakness is you come to me with a slingshot and a stone. That's your weakness. And David says, no, these are just all of the places where God is going to prove that there is more to me than what you see. David carried more into the battle than just a stone and a slingshot. He carried the presence of of the Lord. He stood in the God's presence and he knew that was his identity. Stand against those bullies. Stand up. Stand. Having done all, stand. Stand knowing who you are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father God, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. We praise you for allowing us to take on the identity of Christ Jesus. We praise you, Lord, because you have saved us and you've made us a part of a higher purpose and a higher calling. You filled us with the Holy Spirit to move within, with strength and power through every valley that we face. Father, I want to thank you that even right now you're encouraging people and helping them to know who they are in you. Lord, you see them right there in their valley. You see them in their struggle. And you see how big Goliath is to them. And Father, I pray right now that the battle would not be theirs. The battle is yours. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause a holy indignation to rise up inside of them, to stand and know and be who you've called them to be. And I pray this now. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen and amen. We love you. God bless you. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your evening, a wonderful rest of your week, and say bye-bye to 2020. Hello to 2021. And we wish you, from Fountain, I mean, from Rock Creek Family Church, we wish you a very, very blessed new year. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you. Peace out. Thank you so much for listening to the Rock Creek Family Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Jonathan again, and we are so thankful and grateful for you to be here and join us. We ask that you would make sure that you subscribe so that you can catch other podcasts as they come out. Also, if you would rate it and comment, let us know how God has blessed you through this podcast. We love you. We thank you. Have a blessed day.